Hi everybody, this is Kathy again. I am recording this from Library Hill because Paranormal is closed. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are in the same boat. In fact, I think we're all in the same boat. I decided to record this story versus another one because I think it's really pertinent and I think that people need to get the message. If you think this is a hoax and you think that this is all made up or you think that this is political, I think you're wrong. But regardless, we have to try to keep each other safe and nothing will protect you other than being vigilant. It's not just about washing your hands. It's making sure that you're not interacting with other people in a way that can get you sick, that can then get other people sick as well. So yeah, wash your hands, but please stay home as much as you possibly can. I have an elderly mother and I have nieces and nephews that are compromised immune systems. And honestly, guys, I don't think this is a joke. I think it's something we need to do. I was saddened to see so many people out in bars and restaurants this past weekend in Asbury Park. And I'm sure it happened every place. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people who think that it can't happen to them. But not only were they putting themselves at risk, but they were putting all of the people that work there at risk as well. Businesses need to try to stay open. I get that too. And I'm not pontificating. But I decided to read Edgar Allan Poe's Mask of the Red Death because I can't think of a story that more truly encapsulates the attitude of some right now than this story. And so, for you guys, The Mask of the Red Death by Edgar Allan Poe. The Red Death had long devastated the country. No pestilence had ever been so fatal or so hideous. Blood was its avatar and its seal, the redness and horror of blood. There were sharp pains and sudden dizziness, and then profuse bleeding at the pores with dissolution. The scarlet stains upon the body, and especially upon the face of the victim, were the pest ban which shut him out from the aid and from the sympathy of his fellow man. And the whole seizure, progress, and termination of the disease were the incidents of half an hour. But the Prince Prospero was happy and dauntless and sagacious. When his dominions were half depopulated, he summoned to his presence a thousand hale and light-hearted friends from among the knights and dames of his court, and with these retired to the deep seclusion of one of his castellated abbeys. This was an extensive and a magnificent structure, the creation of the prince's own eccentric yet august taste. A strong and lofty wall girdled it, this wall had gates of iron. The courtiers, having entered, brought furnaces and massy hammers and welded the bolts. They resolved to leave means neither of ingress or egress to the sudden impulses of despair or of frenzy from within. The abbey was amply provisioned. With such precautions, the courtiers might bid defiance to contagion. The external world could take care of itself. In the meantime, it was folly to grieve or to think. The prince had provided all the appliances of pleasure. There were buffoons, so were the casements. The fourth was furnished and lighted with orange, the fifth with white, the sixth with violet. The seventh apartment was closely shrouded in black velvet tapestries that hung all over the ceiling and down the walls, falling in heavy folds upon a carpet of the same material and hue. But in this chamber only, the color of the windows failed to correspond with the decorations. The panes here were scarlet, a deep blood color.
Now, in no one of the seven apartments was there any lamp or candelabrum. Amid the profusion of golden ornaments that lay scattered to and fro or depended from the roof, there was no light of any kind emanating from lamp or candle within the suite of chambers. But in the corridors that followed the suite, there stood opposite each window a heavy tripod bearing a brazier of fire that projected its rays through the tinted glass and so glaringly illumined the room. And thus were produced a multitude of gaudy and fantastic appearances. But in the western or black chamber, the effect of the firelight that streamed upon the dark hangings through the blood-tinted panes was ghastly in the extreme and produced so wild a look upon the countenances of those who entered that there were few of the company bold enough to set foot within its precincts at all. It was in this apartment, also, that there stood against the western wall a giant clock of ebony. Its pendulum swung to and fro with a dull, heavy, monotonous clang. And when the minute hand made the circuit of the face and the hour was to be stricken, there came from the brazen lungs of the clock a sound which was clear and loud and deep and exceedingly musical, but of so peculiar a note and emphasis that at each lapse of an hour the musicians of the orchestra were constrained to pause momentarily in their performance to hearken to the sound. And thus the waltzers perforce ceased their evolutions and there was a brief disconcert of the whole gay company and while the chimes of the clock yet rang, it was observed that the giddiest grew pale, and the more aged and sedate passed their hands over their brows, as if in confused reverie or meditation. But when the echoes had fully ceased, a light laughter at once pervaded the assembly. The musicians looked at each other and smiled as if at their own nervousness and folly, and made whispering vows each to the other that the next chiming of the clock should produce in them no similar emotion. And then, after the lapse of sixty minutes, which embraced three thousand and six hundred seconds of the time that flies, there came yet another chiming of the clock. And then were the same disconcert and tremulousness and meditation as before. But in spite of these things, it was a gay and magnificent revel. The tastes of the Duke were peculiar. He had a fine eye for colors and effect. He disregarded the decora of mere fashion. His plans were bold and fiery, and his conceptions glowed with barbaric luster. There were some who would have thought him mad. His followers felt that he was not. It was necessary to hear and see and touch him to be sure that he was not. He had directed, in great part, the movable embellishments of the seven chambers upon occasion of this great fete, and it was his own guiding taste which had given character to the masqueraders. Be sure they were grotesque. There were much glare and glitter and piquancy and phantasm, much of what has been seen in the Hernani. There were arabesque figures with unsuited limbs and appointments. There were delirious fancies such as the madman fashions. There were much of the beautiful, much of the wanton, much of the bizarre, something of the terrible, and not a little of that which might have excited disgust. To and fro in the seven chambers there stalked, in fact, a multitude of dreams. And these, the dreams, 
writhed in and about, taking hue from the rooms and causing the wild music of the orchestra to seem as the echo of their steps. And anon, there strikes the ebony clock which stands in the hall of the velvet. And then, for a moment, all is still, and all is silent save the voice of the clock. The dreams are stiff-frozen as they stand, but the echoes of the chime die away. They have endured but an instant, and a light, half-subdued laughter floats after them as they depart. And now again, the music swells, and the dreams live and writhe to and fro more merrily than before, taking hue from the many-tinted windows through which streams of rays from the tripods. But to the chamber which lies most westwardly of the seven, there are now none of the maskers who ventured, for the night is waning away, and there flows a ruddier light through the blood-colored panes, and the blackness of the sable drapery appalls, and to him whose foot falls upon the sable carpet, there comes from the near clock of ebony a muffled peal more solemnly emphatic than any which reaches their ears who indulge in the more remote gaieties of the other apartments." But these other apartments were densely crowded, and in them beat feverishly the heart of life. And the revel went whirlingly on, until at length there commenced the sounding of midnight upon the clock. And then the music ceased, as I have told, and the evolutions of the waltzers were quieted, and there was an uneasy cessation of all things as before. But now there were twelve strokes to be sounded by the bell of the clock, and thus it happened, perhaps that more of thought crept with more of time into the meditations of the thoughtful among those who reveled. And thus, too, it happened, perhaps, that before the last echoes of the last chime had utterly sunk into silence, there were many individuals in the crowd who had found leisure to become aware of the presence of a masked figure which had arrested the attention of no single individual before. And the rumor of this new presence having spread itself whisperingly around, there arose at length, and the rumor of this new presence having spread itself whisperingly around, there arose at length from the whole company a buzz or murmur expressive of disapprobation and surprise, and then, finally, of terror, of horror, and of disgust. And in an assembly of phantasms such as I have painted, it may well be supposed that no ordinary appearance could have excited such sensation. In truth, the masquerade license of the night was nearly unlimited, but the figure in question had out-heroded Herod and had gone beyond the bounds of even the prince's indefinite decorum. There are chords in the heart of the most reckless which cannot be touched without emotion. Even with the utterly lost to whom life and death are equally jests, there are matters of which no jest can be made. The whole company indeed seemed now deeply to feel that in a costume and bearing of the stranger, neither wit nor propriety existed. The figure was tall and gaunt and shrouded from head to foot in the habiliments of the grave. The mask which concealed the visage was made so nearly to resemble the countenance of a stiffened corpse that the closest scrutiny must have had difficulty in detecting the cheat. And yet all of this might have been endured, if not approved, by the mad revelers around. But the mummer had gone so far as to assume the type of the Red Death. His vesture was dabbled in blood, and his broad brow with all the features of the face was besprinkled with the scarlet horror. When the eyes of Prince Prospero fell upon the spectral image, 
which with a slow and solemn movement, as if more fully to sustain its role, stalked to and fro amongst the waltzers. He was seen to be convulsed, in the first moment with a strong shudder either of terror or distaste, but in the next his brow reddened with rage. Who dares? he demanded hoarsely of the courtiers who stood near him. Who dares insult us with this blasphemous mockery? Seize him and unmask him, that we may know whom we have to hang at sunrise from the battlements. It was in the eastern or blue chamber in which stood the Prince Prospero as he uttered these words. They rang throughout the seven rooms loudly and clearly, for the Prince was a bold and robust man, and the music had come hushed at the waving of his hands. It was in the blue room where stood the prince with a group of pale courtiers by his side. At first, as he spoke, there was a slight rushing movement of this group in the direction of the intruder, who at the moment was also near at hand, and now, with deliberate and stately step, made closer approach to the speaker. But from a certain nameless awe with which the mad assumptions of the mummer had inspired the whole party, there were none who put forth a hand to seize him so that unimpeded he passed within a yard of the prince's person. And while the vast assembly, as if with one impulse, shrank from the centers of the rooms to the walls, he made his way uninterruptedly, but with the same solemn and measured step which had distinguished him from the first, though the blue chamber to purple, through the purple to the green, through the green to the orange, through this again to the white, and even thence to the violent air, a decided movement had been made to arrest him. It was then, however, that Prince Prospero, maddening with rage and the shame of his own momentary cowardice, rushed hurriedly through the six chambers, while none followed him on account of a deadly terror that had seized upon all. He bore aloft a drawn dagger and had approached in rapid impetuosity to within three or four feet of the retreating figure, when the latter, having attained the extremity of the velvet apartment turned suddenly and confronted his pursuer. There was a sharp cry, and the dagger dropped gleaming upon the sable carpet, upon which instantly afterwards fell prostrate in death the Prince Prospero. Then, summoning the wild courage of despair, a throng of the revelers at once threw themselves into the black apartment and seizing the mummer whose tall figure stood erect and motionless within the shadow of the ebony clock, gasped in unutterable horror at finding the grave cerements and corpse-like mask which they had handled with so violent a rudeness untenanted by a tangible form. And now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night, and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of their revel, and died each in the despairing postures of his fall. And the life of the ebony clock went out with that of the last of the gay, and the flames of the tripods expired, and darkness and decay and the Red Death held illimitable dominion overall. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you got a little bit more out of it than just the scare and the spook and a little bit of the idea that we're all in this together and that, you know, none of us are immune to what is impacting and and attacking our country and our nation. 
and we need to work together, but we need to do it by isolating ourselves as much as possible. That doesn't mean you can't be active on social media. It doesn't mean you can't follow us on social media, and it doesn't mean that you can't communicate. So please go to our Facebook page, go to Twitter, go to Instagram, go to our website at paranormalnj. Uh, paranormalbooksnj.com where you can find all of our contact information. And if you think I'm full of it, that's okay. You can say that too. I am going to be reading a novel um, nightly while we're going through this little quarantine here, and I hope you guys enjoy it. It'll probably be about 30 to 45 minutes a night. I will do that live. I will do that on the Paranormal Book Club group. Um, That will be live. And then I will be posting it both on Paranormal Tower and on Paranormal Books um, Facebook page. So if you're interested in that, you can always... uh, log in and listen to that. And if there's something that you want to hear about or something that you want me to dig into, please let me know. Again, you can reach me at kathy at paranormaltower.com or kathy at paranormalbooksnj.com. You can also tell your story at 732-737-9212, which is our My Haunted Story hotline, or you can send me an email at mystory at paranormaltower.com. Listen, guys, Let's stay on this side of the veil for now, okay? And until I talk to you again, please keep your hands clean, keep your doors closed, keep your mind, your ears, and your eyes open. Take care, you guys.